So we are in our second lesson of the Jailbreak series, and, and today I want to talk about the concept of waking up. In, in Jailbreak series, we're, we're dealing with the idea that some of us are bound by things, and it's not always things that are physical. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that we live in the United States of America, that is a free country. Amen? Amen. Grateful for that. And yet, there are many people that are, while physically free, are not mentally, emotionally, or spiritually free. People that are bound by depression and anxiety and fear and addictions and, and bitterness and, and hurt. And, and maybe it's not all that on the bad side of things, but there are even things on the good side of the scale, if you will, that our, our world would laud and, and applause and, and it, it would kind of enforce and reinforce its benefit and its, its goodness in your life. Things like um, influence or, or other people's opinion or, or money and career. And, and these also can be prisons that people can be bound within. Things that, they, that drive their life, that control their actions and their thoughts. And when you're in a prison of this nature, we, we can think to ourselves, well, I don't want to be in a prison. I don't want to think like this anymore. I don't want to feel like this anymore. I don't want to do that thing anymore. Or I keep going back to this relationship or these kinds of relationships that are not helpful, that are not beneficial, but I don't know how to get out of it. I don't know how to stop going in that direction. I can't seem to get out. It feels like I'm in jail. And that's the purpose of the series. And when we use the term jail, what we're talking about are, are those moments where we have limited choices, where we are controlled by others, and we can't choose to leave. That's what it means to be in jail. But God did not empower believers with the Holy Spirit for us to live depressed and angry and hurt and despondent. He did not empower us with the Holy Spirit so that anything of this world can control us and manipulate us and cause our, our choices in life to be dictated by things of this world. He said that we are to follow him and him alone and that he would pour out his blessings upon us. Can we say amen to that? So a believer does not live in a prison, but in a promise. You find many throughout scripture and many people that I have seen in my lifetime that have experienced great tragedy and yet they have seen God do amazing things with them in their life. They have rejoiced even in the middle of sorrow. I'll tell you a, a quick story. I won't give you the graphic details, but I met a man years ago. I, I've actually met him a number of times, but I haven't seen him for many years. His name was Pastor Teclamarian. He pastored in the, the nation of Ethiopia. And Pastor Teclamarian uh, was in a situation where uh, he was, his church was growing and things were going well, but the government at that time and the leadership of that time did not like him and did not like what was going on there. And, and I don't know every detail of the story, but I do know that one day soldiers came to his house and took his young son, only a, a baby, and, and they, they, they came to him and they said, we want you to stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. And he said, no, I, I will not do that. And they took his son by his heels and hung him this, like this upside down. And they began to swing him. And, and they swung him against the wall. And they said, renounce Christ. And uh, Pastor Teclamarian said, I cannot. 
and, and they started hitting the child harder against the wall until repeatedly saying, uh, reject Christ, renounce Christ. He repeatedly said no, and eventually they killed his son. Now, the, the story becomes very graphic and very horrific, and, and, and I just, my heart, I can't even, I don't have a place in my life to be able to put that or process that, and what that must have felt like. But the first time I ever met Pastor Teclamarian, he was skipping and dancing across the front of a, uh, of a church during a service, and, and we were worshiping God, and he was worshiping God. And the reason why he could worship God, even in the midst of an amazing uh, time of tragedy, and, and with that kind of loss in his life, is because even though he was in a, a restrictive situation, it would seem to be in a hardship beyond compare, he, he found a place of joy and a place of freedom in Christ Jesus that comes with the promise that Jesus gave believers. He said, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. You are truly free. Yes, he's talking about the freedom that comes with, with salvation and the freedom from sin, but he's also talking about the freedom of living with joy and peace and, and, and the joy of the Lord, the peace of God re, uh, resident within our life and, and being expressed consistently from our life where we can walk into a situation no matter what it looks like and we can see the hand of God moving. Praise the name of the Lord. And so we're teaching through Peter's story of deliverance in Acts chapter 12, and we're seeing what God does in his life. He's bound. He's being watched by four soldiers, and I talked through the first section of this last week, and you can catch up online if you'd like to. But he's in a bad, seemingly hopeless situation. But the believers did not give up. They, they continued to pray. And in Acts 12 verse 5, we read, but while Peter was in prison... The church prayed very earnestly, and that word earnestly means with, with sincere, intense conviction. It wasn't a ho-hum, oh, hope you work this out, Jesus. All right, we're done. <laughs> that, that wasn't the prayer. It was, it was intense. It was deep. It was conviction. It, it, was, it, was, it was with everything that they had that was crying out to God for Peter. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate, and suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up, and the chains fell from his wrists. This is what we're focused on today. Both Peter and the church are fighting the right battle, and now God's responding. And when God responded to the prayer of the people, he responded with a light and with an angel. A light and an angel. And here's our big idea today. For Peter and for us, revelation comes before liberation. Revelation comes before liberation. The word revelation simply means the ability to know or to understand, the ability to see. When you don't have revelation, it means that you cannot see your way forward. You don't know what's happening. When we gain revelation, it means a new understanding comes into our life. A, a new ability to see something in a brand new way becomes real in our world. We're, we're able to notice details and notice situations that maybe were hidden to us before. 
And we need that to have experience a jailbreak in our life because we can't walk out of what we cannot or will not see. And this is where the jails of physical jails are different from the kind of jails that you and I are talking about today. A physical jail, somebody that can't see anything can be led out by someone who can see something. But in a jail of the spirit, in the jail of the mind, in the jail of the emotions, somebody else's revelation doesn't necessarily mean your liberation. We have to be able to see. If you want to be free, you have to see. You have to see. And I have two thoughts for us today. How do we receive God's revelation? And thought number one is this, prayer resulted in revelation. As the church prayed, a bright light lit up Peter's cell. It was a light that didn't come from normal or natural sources. And I would say today that if you have the Holy Spirit working in your life, this is one of the benefits you have as a believer in Christ Jesus. There are times where you're able to see things not available to the natural eye. In fact, it kind of works like this, where the natural eye will see everything that, well, any other natural eye will see. You see, you see the wooden panels here, and, and, and everybody in the room that can see would be able to see these panels in pretty much the same way. And so when we're going through life, we just get accustomed to seeing the panels the way that they are. That panel, the panels will represent life for us today. We see life the same way anybody else sees life. But when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, into our heart, and we allow him to work in our life, suddenly we get to see things a little different. It's like a spotlight being shown upon the situation. And even though every other person can see the entire situation, it's only those who have the Holy Spirit working in their life that can see the, just the magnified part, the, the part that's lit up a little bit more, a little bit brighter. Maybe there's some details that, that others can't know or others don't see in the way that you see them. It's not your power. It's not your might. But the Spirit of the Lord is revealing things to you and, and letting you see things. And sometimes it's not with physical eyes. Sometimes it, it, we, we sense things more than we actually see them. And, and you see that. The closer we get to God, the brighter it becomes. The, the, the further away we get from God and the more restricted we get with the Holy Spirit, the less it's there. But that's what God's Spirit is supposed to do in our life. It, it brings revelation. The Holy Spirit was delivering illumination to Peter's cell in that particular moment. Things that were not revealed to the naked eye were suddenly there. It was all dark, and now it's all light. Sometimes it happens in just a moment. In fact, in the Old Testament, we have a story of Elisha and his servant. Elisha was one of the prophets in the Old Testament, and, and, and he was foretelling what the enemy king's army was going to do before they did it. And the, the king was really kind of irritated about it because he couldn't take anybody by surprise. And so he said, who is telling everybody our secrets? He was looking for a spy. One of his servants said, oh, it's not a spy in your camp, king. No, it's Elisha the prophet. God's talking to him. And so he's telling our enemies what we're going to do. So, so the king said, I want you to send an army and go kill Elisha. And so they sent an entire army to go kill one man. That's mad. The servant gets up that morning and he sees a huge army surrounding their house and he gets a little concerned. 
He goes and wakes up his master, Elisha, and he said, Elisha, you got to do something. Some, what's going to happen? We're going to die today because this army is all around us. And the scripture says in 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha said, don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than there is on theirs. Well, the servant's looking around, and he says, that is definitively not true. I can count their dudes, and I can count us to a bazillion. That's a problem. And what does Elijah do, Elisha do in this moment? He doesn't try to counsel him into seeing something that he cannot see. Elisha prayed. He prayed. He said, oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. It was a small prayer. It was a short prayer. It, 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 was, it, it wasn't one that, you know, we would write down and recite very often, but it was a powerful prayer. It was an intense prayer. It was a very real prayer. And God responded. He opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Suddenly he went, oh, we're cool. They were there before. He just couldn't see him, see them. The, the light wasn't on in his world. He couldn't see what already existed, but now he could see that God had set something up already that was going to take care of the problem that they were in. Fear left. In this situation in the New Testament, you have Peter in the prison, and it's the church that is praying. The church is praying. They're in, they're in, in Rhoda's house. They're, they're not there in the prison. They're not in the cell. They're outside of the situation, looking into the situation and praying for the situation. And God hears their prayer, and he brings revelation to Peter. See, external prayer resulted in internal revelation. How many of you have somebody in your life that you, you just wish they could see the reality of their life? You wish they could see the, the prison that they're in. You keep telling them, hey, there's a prison that you're in. And they keep saying, nuh-uh. And you're like, uh-huh. And they're like, nuh-uh. And you're like, uh-huh. And they're like, nuh-uh. And you really wish they would believe the uh-huh from your life and quit responding with an uh-uh. But, but they're not. And you wonder, how can they not see it? It's because they don't have revelation in their life about their situation. Can I bring you hope today by saying it was the church praying that resulted in Peter being able to see. Praise God. Prayer impacted something that, that they weren't even in. And maybe you need revelation today. Maybe someone else needs revelation today. But we want to pray about this. We're going to pray about this together. But here's the problem. It's not a problem, it's just a reality, that when the light comes on, it does not reveal a fantasy, it reveals the truth. So when the light came on in the cell, it wasn't a picture of rolling pastures and, and freedom and beauty. No, it was cell walls, it was a cell door, it was guards. I don't know what the guards were doing at this point. We don't have any record of that, but they weren't moving, I can tell you that. And then he, he saw chains and he saw, he saw the reality. See, what the world will do is it will create a fantasy about the reality in order to make the reality not so bad. 
But what God does is he takes the reality and says, if you will look at the reality from my perspective, then I will change your reality and let you walk out of the prison versus changing the situation of the prison to try to make it seem like a better place than it really is. Here they are, the light revealing reality. Liberation is not a result of ignorance. Sometimes we think that if we ignore the problem long enough, it will just go away. If we just act like it isn't, then it won't be. I know people who won't go to the doctor because they don't want to know what the diagnosis is going to be. I know folks who don't balance their checkbook because they don't want to know what the story is going to be. It doesn't make it less true. It just means you might die without knowing why. We're all going to die someday. Aren't you excited about being at church this morning? Yeah. We, we know this, but, but there's things that we can do to prolong the situation or at least make it better, but we let ourselves be ignorant and wonder why we're never free. The only thing ignorance does is take solutions off the table. So by saying, I don't want to know, all you're doing is not, not knowing how you could possibly handle the situation, at least make it better. But in Peter's case, God was going to release him entirely. But he had first to be able to see. God can open every door, but you won't use what you can't see. If it's pitch black in this place, in this cell, and every door opens, but you don't know they're open, you will sit in captivity when you could be walking free. God's got to turn on the light. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you yourself or in a situation where you say, I know that I'm in a prison and I need a light to come on so I can start seeing things better. Or maybe you know a person, a loved one, a son, a daughter, a, a husband, a wife, a, a grandparent, a friend. You know somebody that's in a cell and they need the light to come on. Would you just stand to your feet right now? We're going to pray for everybody in that situation. Everybody, if you know somebody, if you're that person, stand to your feet right now. We believe that God is the miracle maker, amen? amen? And we believe, just like he turned on the light for Peter, we believe he can turn on the light for our loved ones and for us. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, we step out in faith and we ask you, as the church prayed, we pray today. We pray for those that are in this room, that are in a prison. They know they're in a prison, but they can't see their way out. We're praying that you turn the light on in their life today and let them see what, only, what, what you have for them. Let them see the reality of the situation and, and how they can walk free from it in Jesus' name. We're believing you for that. And for loved ones, ones that are not here, but, but we're, we're praying into the cell. We're outside of it, but we're praying into it. And we're asking you to turn on a light in a way that they cannot and will not ignore. In Jesus' name, we're believing you to do what we can't. And if that is your prayer, if you're in agreement with that, would you just say amen? Amen. amen. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Praise God. You may be seated. You may be seated. And that brings us to thought number two, that prayer created discomfort. And this may be why some people don't pray. Because when I prayed one time, it got worse instead of better. It does that sometimes. Because they're praying, Peter is in the cell and he's sleeping and the angel comes up to him and the scripture says that he's 
struck, he struck Peter. He struck him. When I pray, I expect the loving arms of my heavenly father to wrap around me and his great big hand to tap me on the back and say, Micah, it's going to be okay. I don't expect him to send an angel to slap me. It's just not in my experience. Pray so God will slap you. Not what I'm thinking. Peter had to be struck. Why? Because the light came on and he did not wake up. He was so comfortable in his situation that he didn't wake up when the light was bright and the angel appeared. Peter was sleeping through his liberation. Could it be that God's got the, the bright light of his spirit lighting up the cell of your life right now? Could it be that he has an angel there ready to lead you out? But you are so comfortable in your place. You, you set up a little fern over here by the cell window and you got a little bookcase over here with all the poor me books on it. And, and, and you're just... You're just You've made it comfortable and you're sleeping and you don't want to wake up. You don't, see, they're saying amen right there. <laughs> if you're a parent of that baby, I love it. Keep it there. It's good. Okay. So part of this is admirable because as a believer in Christ, it's a beautiful thing to see believers trust God in such a way as to where they will just sleep in the middle of the trauma. In the middle of the crisis, they trust God to handle things so much that they, they're, just, they're just okay in the moment. I think that's a beautiful thing. It's possible, however, to become so comfortable in the jail that your captivity becomes your identity. Where, where, where we, we, we're sleeping, not because it's okay, just because we've put off liberation so far down the road that we're not expecting it right now. See, when you're sleeping, you're not fighting. When you're sleeping, you're not resisting. When you're sleeping, you're, you're just coping. You're not trying to escape. Sometimes you negotiate with your captor versus press for liberation. And the reason why I think we sleep is because it passes the time. We think God's going to handle this. So I'm just going to not think about it, not worry about it. When I was a kid, we used to go on road trips, and we'd often go from Massachusetts, where we were living, to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where my grandparents lived and where all of us are from. And so we would get in the car and drive 17 hours straight to Nana and Papa's house. Well, that 17 hours is a long time, especially when you're a kid. And so I would read a book until I was tired. Then I would try to sleep as long as I could because it passed the time. People in prison spend a lot of time sleeping because it passes the time. So on one hand, you're coping, but at worst, we begin claiming the jail for ourselves. We say things like, well, my sickness is this, or my crisis is that, or my depression causes this, or my anxiety, my financial issues. If, if you're married, you don't do that with your kids. When your kids do something great, you say, my son did something. But when your kid does something crazy, you go, my daughter, her daughter did such and such. <laughs> or you look at your spouse and say, your child is doing X, you should handle it. 
But when it comes to things that are keeping us bound, we, we don't claim them for somebody else. We often claim them for ourselves. God showed the light in the cell. And when Peter didn't wake up ready to leave, the angel smacked him. And sometimes it takes a hit to wake us up. To wake us up to what's really going on. Last week I shared about how God hit Christy and I in our marriage. In the middle of a massive fight, we suddenly realized a critical piece of information that both of us had had, had, had misunderstandings around. And it allowed us to get our marriage together. And now, instead of getting divorced, we were more, than, more in love than ever before. It was a beautiful thing, but it was a hit. God will get your attention. I don't know how he'll get it. Maybe it'll be a fight, like in Christy and I's situation. Maybe it'll be an angel. Maybe it'll be a fight with an angel, like Jacob's life. He had a fight with an angel. And that's when he came to an understanding of what God was going to do in his life. But at the end of the day, if you're in jail today, that jail of depression or anxiety or fear or anger or addiction or, or others' opinions or, or influence or, or money or career, the, the prayer is let God wake you up. Don't stay asleep trying to, trying to pass the time. Push against the problem. And let God wake you up to the situation. But we sometimes don't want that because of that momentary discomfort. That momentary discomfort that comes with the smack. And then for Christy and I, when the revelation came, that hurt too. It, it hurt because I suddenly realized many things that I had thought about her were just wrong and I felt bad. But then I recognized that many of the things that she thought about me were wrong, and I was offended. And so all of a sudden, a bad situation became worse for a minute. It's like when you got a problem and you go to the doctor and they say, well, we can fix your problem, but first we have to cut you open. You know, doc, I'm feeling pretty good about everything staying right where it's at. Versus you going in and cutting me open. It's only going to take you 73 years to heal from the surgery we're going to do. Okay, I'm still feeling better about not doing the surgery, Doc. But in the end, you're going to be better. Now, it's not 73 years, I pray, for the recovery of your life. But waking up. Waking up can be, well, I want to say hard to do, but it's going to make you think about Folgers coffee. And that's not a positive thing. So some of us just want to stay asleep. We just want to stay asleep and say, well, maybe, maybe if I can just let the light, maybe if I can just ignore it for a bit more, I'll deal with it later. See, our series goal is to see amazing liberation happen to us and in the lives of our loved ones, our community, not just around us, not just to read it about somebody else, but to see it in our house and and revelation in our home always precedes liberation. Revelation given doesn't always mean revelation received. If that was true, we would all started life out a lot smarter, having listened to our parents. It doesn't always work that way. But prayer results in revelation and often creates discomfort. 
And I would just say today that one of, I think one of the areas of discomfort for modern believers is that concept of that, that heartfelt, all in, everything given prayer. We, we, we like to be reserved. We, we like to comport ourselves with, you know, where other people can look at us and think good things about us. And so sometimes our prayers, even for things we care about deeply, will be, Lord, you know, and if it be your will and, and, and so on, then we pray that something will happen, you know, that somehow, and, and, and thank you, Lord, and we're done. But that, that sense of that earnest prayer that the early church was giving, it took them outside of their sense of decorum and their, their sense of, of pride, really. Because at the end of the day, that's what it is. When we will not just give ourselves completely in prayer. When I, was a, when I was a young man and a young pastor, I, I, I really thought that the level that I had to live at was like, far higher than it was and and I was always trying to be perceived as being worthy of the calling in my life and so I had a really tough time having fun of any kind and and it I, I thought I was having fun and privately you know in our family we would have fun but if I was anywhere where anybody else was there then I really you know controlled everything around me and I was always dressed just so, and I was always, you know, spoke just so, and nothing was out of order if I could handle it. I was wound really, really tight. Some argue that I'm still wound tight, but I think I'm fairly loose today. And so one day we were sitting at McDonald's, and the boy, uh, Talon, was about, I don't know, two or three, four years old, something like that, and he was playing in the, in the little tower um, play set, and Tyrion was too young to play anywhere at the time. But I'm sitting there and he's playing and I'm eating uh, french fries with Christy and we're talking. And everything was, everything was fine until I heard Talon at the very top of that thing, that playset, started crying. And when he did, I don't know, I don't even remember moving, but, but I pushed myself out of that booth and I sprinted. That's when I came to myself. I was sprinting to the playset. And the only way I could see to get up the playset that, you know, those playsets are not made for this. And so uh, the only way I could see to get up that playset was the tube slide that was right there in the front. And so I just hit that tube slide at full run. And I was running, well, crawling like Superman, Spider-Man kind of thing, up that tube slide. Those little kids were coming down the slide and they'd come around that turn and go, and because there's this big massive head sitting right in front of them and, and I didn't even hardly see them. I was just, I was face palming them like this and scooting them right between my legs and they were moving right on down. I didn't, not a child was harmed in this event, not a child. But I was going up that thing and I got up the slide and I popped out and I'm climbing up this net thing and I can still hear him. He's up there and I don't know where he's at. I'm going, Talon, Talon, Talon. And I finally get up into this little crow's nest thing at the very top, all made out of nets. And I'm crouched all in there, all squeezed. And, and it's him sitting in the corner and, and, and a couple kids around him were just being mean to him. And it had caused him to cry. And I handled that business right then and there. <laughs> No children were harmed in this event. 
But what I realized when I came to myself, there was no way to get up there and there was no way to get out of there being dignified. My dignity went out the window when the need became greater than my pride. And for you and I today, what would happen if the need of our friend, of our family, of our situation, of our life, what if our need became greater than our pride and it drove us to the place where we were on our knees before the Lord saying, God, unless you do something, this ship is going to sink. We need you today to handle that situation. And we kept pushing until Jesus answered the cry. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. Prayer partners, would you come forward? And I'm just calling on you. I'm calling on us. Whatever the situation may be, I'm praying right now that God will open up our hearts and let the light of heaven make the cell of our lives brighter than this day that we can see clearly. We're going to talk further through this process. But before anything else can happen, we need the lights to come on. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we're believing you right now. We're we're willing to accept momentary discomfort to receive the freedom that comes from the light being on. We believe you for it. If we could have handled it ourselves, we would already have handled it. But we can't. So today we trust you. We trust you to do what we can't. We submit ourselves to whatever the process may be. But we're just asking that the light come on in our life and in the lives of those we love. Let the light shine. We give you thanks and praise for that in Jesus' name. And if that's your prayer, would you just say amen?